you know, flexibility is the physiological extensibility of the tissue. Like how long can it get? Mobility is strength through full range of motion. So can you express strength from end to end? Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Fronda. We have a truly remarkable guest who's making waves in both the world of BJJ and strength training. Joining us today is Matthew Guffey, the founder of Victory Submission Strength. Matt is not just a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. He's a recognized expert in strength training for jiu-jitsu athletes, and his expertise extends beyond the gym. Matt is also the creator of the seminar, Bulletproof Your Body, Win More Matches, a testament to his commitment to enhancing performance and longevity in the grappling world. But the accolades don't stop there. He's the author of the ebook Move, Feel, and Perform Better, featured on Strong and Fit by BJJ Fanatics. And if that's not enough, Matt is the proud owner of Victory Submission Strength, a strength training gym in San Jose, California. His dedication to helping individuals achieve their best has led to exponential growth, earning him the title of Business Owner of the Year by Results Fitness University in 2022. In a world where expertise is invaluable, Matt's qualifications read like an alphabet soup. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, certified functional range motion specialist, certified functional strength coach, and a brown belt under the guidance of 12-time world champion Professor Kayo Terra. His specialty? Working with grapplers of all sizes, ages, and skill levels. Whether you're new to jiu-jitsu or a seasoned practitioner, Matt's insights can help you take your performance to the next level. So if you're seeking to transform your jiu-jitsu game, enhance your strength, and fortify your body for both the challenges of the mat and everyday life, you're in for a treat. Get ready to dive into the world of strength training, mobility, and mindset. But before we jump into the conversation, if you're curious about how his strategies can work for you, don't miss the chance to book a free strategy session at Victory Submission Strength today. And with that, I give you... Matt Guffey. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. So, Matt, you are a brown belt under the legendary Kayo Terra, correct? That is correct. You've been training with Kayo for how long now? It's been, so I started in March of 2016, so seven and a half years, right from the start. I got really lucky. <laughs> Kayo still coaches and, you know, he's He's not a, it's not just a, a name or a talking head. Like he's on the mats and he's ever present. Let's talk about victory submission strength. What is that? Yeah, so we're a strength and conditioning facility for grapplers. Our goal, our whole mission is just to help jujitsu athletes get stronger, faster, more mobile so that they can stay on the mats, do more of what they love. If they like to compete, to win more matches. That is our mission. Now, have you noticed like there's specifics to jujitsu practitioners in terms of that type of sport in general? Globally, no. Good strength training translates really, really well to every sport. But I will say there's one major difference is the mobility portion is we place a much higher emphasis on the mobility portion with jiu-jitsu athletes because we spend a lot of time in weird positions and we spend a lot of time at end range of motion which is which is really really important like if you don't if you're not strong at end ranges then that's where injuries happen like i said we may place a bit bigger emphasis on the mobility piece than most other strength and conditioning gyms typically would where are you guys in terms of the placement of like physical therapy are you guys dealing with uh, injuries are you doing sort of prehab stuff or all of the above or what there is some overlap between us and physical therapists like as a preventative measure people come to us to get stronger so that they don't get hurt 
And then if they do get hurt, they typically see an athletic trainer on the mats, right? Somebody that's there in, you know, in the weeds with them. And then after that, if they're injured and they need assistance, then they go to a physical therapist, uh, physical therapist or surgeon, hopefully not a surgeon, but sometimes that happens. Then physical therapy. And then once they get through physical therapy, then they come back to us to help get them not just where they were before, but stronger than they were. You mentioned end of range strength, which I've been really fascinated with. I think uh, Henry Aiken's opened my eyes to that recently in that people like myself that are flexible and we rely on our flexibility. And he's like, you know, that's all great and everything, Adolfo. But when you get into like a tense rolling situation, you tend to, you know, you flex, as you know, and uh, that flexibility kind of goes out the door. Or if you are, you're at this end of range and you're not very strong at that end of range. Typically, do you find that to be the case? And if so, how do you address that kind of person? Yes, yeah, so I think it's really common in jiu-jitsu especially. We get a lot of bendy people, 10th planet especially. That is an advantage in a lot of ways. I think flexibility and mobility kind of get jumbled up and maybe mixed up for a lot of people. You know, flexibility is the physiological extensibility of the tissue. Like how long can it get? Mobility is strength through full range of motion. So can you express strength from end to end? So as far as addressing that, right, we talk to people about building that strength at end range of motion is going to help prepare you for when you're put there against your will, right? Because we all do at some point. I don't know anybody who's never got submitted. At some point, you're going to be put in a position where your joint can't go any further. And if it hasn't been exposed to high levels of force under control, then you're more susceptible to injury uh, you know, when it's not under your control. So what we do is we will take people, you know, especially if they're maybe predisposed to, you know, a certain joint injury, like let's say the shoulder, like we've had somebody come to us and they've dislocated their shoulder several times. They played football growing up, jujitsu, you know, two really intense sports. Next thing you know, it's got, he's got two or three dislocations of the shoulder. Okay. So first we need to take them to the end range. Where is the end range for them now? And then we need to expose them to high level force under their control so that if they do get Kimura'd say, it's not a surprise. And the reason we do that is because human tissue, really any tissue, breaks down when the force exerted upon it exceeds its ability to absorb that force, right? So if you think about just a piece of paper, if I start to tear and I'm not pulling very hard, nothing happens. I pull a little bit harder, maybe nothing happens. Pull a little bit harder, next thing you know, tears. Human tissue, same way, bones, joints, ligaments, muscle, all of that is how that functions. So we're essentially building resiliency in the joint and the muscle and the tendons, ligaments, all, all the tissue in there at the end range, at that very edge so that they don't get hurt. These sort of common injury areas, and you mentioned one of them, the shoulder. We often see also the knee, perhaps lower back, people sore in their psoas area. Is that specific to jujitsu or is this a misnomer or what? No, I think that's accurate. I mean, the most common ones are knees and shoulders and then probably ribs, neck, back. I mean, I actually saw, I saw a graphic not too long ago. It was like common injury sites in jujitsu and the whole body was lit up with red. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's fair. The most common injury sites are the knee. And then after that, the shoulder, the knee probably accounts for, I'd say anywhere between a third and a, and a half of most injuries. And I can say anecdotally, that's, that's true as well. Like our, you know, a lot of the athletes who come through is knee or shoulder. And um, what is the Bulletproof Seminar? We've been trying to find ways to reach more jujitsu athletes that are not just in my own home gym because there, I've been there for seven and a half years. So I, I know most everybody there, but jujitsu is huge. And especially in the Bay Area, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 schools within five miles of, of our gym. And so what we've been trying to do is make our way everywhere from Santa Cruz up to Oakland, 
Um, would love to come up to Marin County and share what we know to try to speak to as many grapplers as we can about how to, the, the seminar is called Bulletproof Your Body and Win More Matches. And we talk about building strength, building mobility, building power, and kind of how those things work together to make you more resilient. And if you do get injured, how to bounce back quickly after injury. In terms of strength training, are there strength training modalities that jiu-jitsu practitioners don't need or perhaps should focus on? What is the correct lens to look at this? As far as like things that I think grapplers don't need, I think overrated are gi chin-ups or rows or anything like that. Trying to mimic things exactly as they are on the mats is not the point of strength and conditioning. Our whole goal is to build more well-rounded athletic profiles. If the person's more athletic, they're more mobile, they're faster, they're stronger, that translates no matter what. As far as things they absolutely should be doing, there are a few. The first is developing a strong core is probably where people should start. And the way to do that, you know, it's really common for people to like bang out a hundred sit-ups after class or something like that. But what we're really trying to do is what we call anti-core training. So anti-extension, anti-lateral flexion, and anti-rotation. So we're trying to develop stiffness in the core. And the reason that is, is because in order to generate any power from the lower body to the upper body, you need stiffness through the midsection. If you think about a baseball bat, if you tried to hit a baseball with a pool noodle, the ball wouldn't go anywhere. The ball goes far because the bat is stiff. Likewise, a baseball player swinging the bat, if they have no core stiffness, as they rotate through the swing, all of that energy gets lost on its way to the upper body and the bat. Same thing in jiu-jitsu. If I try to throw somebody, but I'm not tight through the core, it's gonna be really difficult for me to get to move them where I wanna move them. On the flip side of that, if somebody tries to move me and I'm not stiff through the core, then that is gonna be problematic, right? Like I'm not gonna be able to bear down and keep myself where I wanna be or stymie their attempt at knocking me off balance. And so I'd say that's the first place to start. Second is single leg strength, I think is way underrated. If you think about it, we walk one leg at a time, we run one leg at a time. Everything we do is pretty much one leg at a time. When we pass the guard, we're very rarely with both feet planted 50-50. If you're standing there like that, you're probably getting taken down. You know, we're constantly shifting our weight from side to side. And so developing strength on one leg has been the biggest game changer for a lot of people in our gym. They come back and they're like, I used to just deadlift and squat all bilateral lifts, all two leg lifts. And once they started doing real, like true single leg stuff, changed the game, man, because they, they're way tougher to move, they're way tougher to sweep, they're more comfortable on one leg, their balance is better, their proprioception is better. There are a litany of advantages to training like that. That's interesting. You know, in judo, you often hear, or even striking, the power's in the hips. But what you were describing earlier is that, that core stiffness also, in addition, is, is there any truth to that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the hips is, that, that is the, the main driver for sure. Your glutes are the biggest muscles in your body, more or less. So, you know, you're generating a lot of power through the hips, and that is 100% true. But without stiffness in the core, that power gets lost. And that's, that's what I'd like to add to that. How do you think of your clients in terms of, or do you in terms of different exercises or what, whatever they may need when it comes to their age, their weight, and their gender? We try to meet everybody where they're at. We go through a pretty extensive 
assessment protocol. We sit down, we have a conversation with them first. Then, you know, once they're in, they join, then we have them come in for a movement and strength assessment. We move them through, you know, all the mobility stuff. And we look at how each joint moves by itself. We look at how each joint moves in conjunction with the others, you know, through common movement patterns, you know, and then we do some basic strength stuff so that we know exactly where to start their program. We're always looking to meet them where they're at. That's, that's the key, I think, in all of this, regardless of age, weight, gender, whatever. It's finding out what they can do, what they want to do, and then working backwards from there and figuring out what's the next step. Okay. You know, and that's going to change from person to person because, like I said, somebody's going to come in having dislocated their shoulder three or four times, and somebody else is going to come in and have no pain at all and be like, I'm good. And they can, you know, they can do other things that, that another person can't. So um, the key is just find where they're at, where they want to go, work backwards from there. Just a reminder to please give us a five star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. And check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring, T-E-E, spring.com, forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at Forever White Belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. There are amazing instructors and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. With your sort of evolution into this strength training, how have you adapted your own strength training per your game? Uh, the same way I would any client of mine, figuring out what it is that I need most and attacking that, which, you know, the lowest hanging fruit. Typically, that's we come at that from, I guess the term we would use is like proximal to distal approach, meaning just closer to the center of the body if you clean things up there and then move out from there, that that typically cleans up a lot of issues for a lot of people. So people come in and they you know they say, oh well this hurts or that hurts. And we're like, all right, let's look to the center first. And that's why I mentioned core first, right? When you asked about you know what are some things that people should be doing, the core is the it's the core. <laughs> it's it's quite literally the center of everything. So if, oftentimes when we clean that up and we get people strong in those positions, then a lot of the things downstream typically clean themselves up. So do you see a lot of um, other areas that try to make up for that core weakness at times? And then you see whatever you may call it off balances or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. The, the approach that we use here in this case is uh, it's called the joint by joint approach, which was pioneered by Mike Boyle and Gray Cook, legendary strength coach and physical therapist. And it, basically what it states is that each joint alternates in function up the chain. So if you start with a big toe, big toe needs to be mobile, midfoot needs to be stable, ankle needs to be mobile, knee needs to be stable, hip needs to be mobile, core or low back needs to be stable, upper back mobile, shoulder blade stable, shoulder mobile, elbow stable, wrist mobile, mid hand. So you get see what I'm getting at here. So typically if we see somebody somebody comes in and they've got pain somewhere, we look on either side of the chain and be like, okay, if you're feeling low back pain, typically glutes or lack of upper back mobility. If you're feeling shoulder pain, we look at the shoulder blade of the elbow, typically shoulder blade. I say that's more common. That's really how we how we approach that. We say, okay, if low back and mid back or, or upper back are, are, are in pain, we just look on either side. I think the saying is the site of pain is rarely the source of pain. It's all it's all just a symptom. It's working itself upstream or downstream for that matter. Now, Matt, I've heard you mention the name Mike Boyle before, and I know some of you out there probably know of Mike Boyle. Can you expand on Mike Boyle? How did you stumble onto Mike's teaching or what did you get out of it? And uh, can you share more? 
Mike Boyle is, in my opinion, one of the, I mean, he's one of the OG strength coaches. He's worked with athletes in every sport, pioneered the NFL combine system. He was with the Red Sox when they won the World Series. He coached, uh, uh, he was strength coach for Boston University hockey for a long time. He was strength coach for the Bruins. He's worked with the U.S. women's national team, both, both hockey and soccer. He's done it all. Uh, he's got a, a vast sea of knowledge um, that he's he shared with a lot of people. And so I knew about him through, because I, my background was in hockey originally before before I started jiu-jitsu. And so I had heard of him when I was in that realm. He's got a, a certification course, the CFSC, Certified Functional Strength Coach, which I think is the best it's the most practical certification that a strength coach or a personal trainer could get because it actually talks about how to coach people. I've got several certifications at this point and most of them revolve around the science and that's great. That's You need that. But none of them really address how to apply it outside of the CFSC. I think the CFSC does the best job at teaching you how to apply the actual knowledge and how to, like I said earlier, meet people where they're at so that they can get the best bang for their buck. Walk me through, you know, what's sort of ideal? Should I be doing anything before jujitsu at home and then I get to jujitsu and prior to warm-ups and what should the warm-ups look like at jujitsu? What should I be doing in between roles during training? What should I be doing directly after training? And when I get home, can you walk us through like a day? The first thing I'll say is CARS, which stands for Controlled Articular Rotations. It hasn't quite hit the mainstream. It's getting there. Like people are starting to know what that is. Briefly, it's just moving the joint, each joint by itself through the end range of motion. We're looking for a couple different things here. First, for me, it's a check-in. How do I feel today? Is anything bugging me? Because that's typically when you're going to feel the pain, if there is any. Two, I'm looking to lubricate the joints, get more fluid to the joint so that it's prepared for higher level work, i.e. rolling right, or training, whatever that is to you. So I think CARS is something everybody should do. And we have actually our, on the Victory Submission Strength Instagram, a free competition warm-up guide people can go and download um, because that's something that, you know, I found as a brief aside, you know, in competing a lot, I see a lot of people in the bullpen kind of like not knowing what they're doing. They're just kind of bouncing around and yeah, you know, hitting themselves or whatever. And, and there's no, you know, yes, you're, in, you know, you're increasing your heart rate and you're elevating your core temperature, but there's a lot left on the table that you could do to maximize your performance going into those matches. So that's something that we're trying to change, right? It's my dream. Like I, I go to competition and see people in the bullpen doing cars. I will, I'll know I have made it. Uh, <laughs> Can you give me like one example? Is it what, a wrist rotation or what are we talking? Yeah. So like I'll, I'll use my shoulder as an example. You know, the, the three things we tell people with regards to cars, the three things that they definitely need to know is that you never move through closing angle pain. So closing angle pain just means like if I tilt my head this way, the angle on this side closes, this side opens. If I feel pain here, typically that's the joint coming together, right? And if, you, if you're moving through when the joint's coming together, it's, it's not good for the tissue. Conversely, if I feel pain or tension on the other side, on the opening angle side, typically that's, that's tissue length that's stopping me, right? Like that may be just like a pulled muscle or something, which is not as dire, so to speak. So the first thing is no closing angle pain. If you feel closing angle pain, you wanna move around it or bounce back and forth. 
So like if I were you know, doing my shoulder cars as I come up, if I feel closing angle pain on this side, I wanna just go back the other way, right? I wanna go away from the closing angle pain, not toward it. Real quickly for the listener out there, initially Matt was tilting his head to one side towards his shoulder, his ear to his shoulder type of thing. And the second example is how would you uh, articulate that? If I were bringing my hand up toward the ceiling, like my bicep toward my ear, the closing angle side would be on top of the shoulder, the opening angle side underneath it, right? On the rib side. And so if I felt closing angle pain on top of the shoulder, I'd wanna move back away from it or around it in some way. So I, I wanna move through the end range of motion as, as much as I can, pain-free. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is we can only move the joint that we're working on. So again, if I'm working on my shoulder and I, I bring my hand up toward the ceiling and I let my ego get the best of me and I start to tilt myself to the side so that I can get my hand up higher over my head, now my spine is acting for my shoulder and I can't get an accurate read as to what it's capable of in that moment. And then the third thing is I have to move through the end range of motion for any of this to work. Because if I just do a small arm circle off to the side that's not stimulating the tissue enough. I'm not getting to the end range, so my body doesn't know, my mind doesn't know to send more nutrients, send more fluid, create more space, right? The example I give a lot is, you know, if I picked up a five pound dumbbell and I lift it five times, my bicep isn't gonna grow because I haven't pushed the tissue far enough I haven't pushed it close enough to its end capability in order to stimulate growth. Same thing with joints. If you don't move them through the end range, they simply don't know to do that. That's how you communicate with that kind of tissue. So that would be a warm up then is, is what you're thinking at that yeah. point. I mean, I, I train in the mornings. I do it. I do them every morning um, and you can do them in any, in any order. Uh, but the key is to throughout the day, at least do them all. I think it's really good to do them all right before jujitsu because you use your whole body in jiu-jitsu, you know, it's not just one part. So cars is the first thing. Second is there's mixed reviews on what a warm-up should look like in jiu-jitsu. I'm partially torn. I feel like a lot of it is fluff as it is now. I haven't been to a school yet where the warm-up was just perfect. The strength coach in me wants a more general to specific approach versus just jumping right into hip escapes and reverse hip escapes and all that stuff. Like I feel like there should be a little bit more generality to it at the beginning. So that's something that people will find actually in the competition warm-up is after the cars bit is a dynamic warm-up that people can do in place that help elevate body temperature, increase extensibility of the joints or of the muscles. Can you give me one example of that specific? Like we'll go through uh, knee hugs, just but dynamically, not like not holding the stretch for two minutes. I'll just pull my knee to my chest, get a good stretch on my hip, take a couple steps, do another stretch on the other side, do that 10, 15 times, heel to butt, just grabbing your, grabbing your foot, pull the heel toward your butt, get a stretch in the front side of the thigh, couple steps, do the next one. You know, we'll do, we like, we're a big fan of crawls. Crawls are great for the shoulders, coordination, proprioception. There's a lot of things, a lot of good things that happen there. So nothing crazy here. Nothing crazy. It doesn't have to be crazy. Um, but I, I can assure you, if you go through that warm up, you'll be warm. And you can use the warm up to build better, like we talked about earlier, athletic profiles, right? I can build better rhythm. I can build better balance. I can build a lot of things on that. And they can be progressed, you know, several times over, depending on the capability of the individual, which is great. And then after you do some general things, then jumping into more specific jujitsu warmups, I think that would probably be in an ideal world, how I would do it. But what, do we live in an ideal world? I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. 
So let's say we've done all that. We've done our whatever hour, hour and a half, two hours of hard training or whatever it may be, plus technique, rolling, and class is over. What should I be doing now? You know, there's mixed reviews on this too. Um, everything I've learned is like, if you feel you need to cool down, cool down. If you don't, don't. Um, it's not going to crush you if you don't. Just walking, walking around, walking to your car, walking home, whatever it is, that could be enough for you. Some people need a little bit more. Um, I know a lot of people like to sit there and stretch for 30 minutes after class. I personally almost never do that and I feel great. So I think that's more of personal preference than um, than anything. Um, a safe bet is, is cars again. You can literally never over dose on those by the way like you can do them as many times as you want it would never ever go stale there's always room to improve on those so if you were going to do something after if i were going to do something after that might be where i'd start but again i think more personal preference as far as post training goes how do i get my strength training in within the week if you're training a lot i've heard you mention before something like two days a week also there are things like recovery also i know people are doing things like whatever it may be cryo or sauna or hot tub or whatever it may be and it's a lot it's pretty time consuming right conversely i've seen you know crossfit people come in and then they do jujitsu and they're like i just can't do crossfit anymore it's just too much you know to for all of this can you touch on that whole sort of thought process you know, most important thing for us as strength coaches is minimum effective dose. Can I get the same results doing half the work? And if so, great, I'm going to do that, right? And that's why I think, you know, the way we formulated our program is such that you can get everything in in two days a week, which leaves you a lot of time to recover, which is great because you're only really as good as your recovery, right? If you train every day, like you just mentioned that the CrossFit guys who come in, they train every day, they go to CrossFit every day. Next thing you know, they're just like burnt out. Like I can't do both of these things. It's just like my body does not want any part of this. So training two days a week, it's surprising for a lot of people because you know we've had plenty of athletes come in they're like i want to train five days a week and i'm like you'll train two and it will be fine i promise you're going to make plenty of gains you'll make probably better gains working out two days a week than you would five because you'd be able to put more into those two days as far as when to do that that depends on a lot of things the first is what's your schedule like right sometimes the optimal time to lift versus train jujitsu isn't possible. I think it's better to lift before jujitsu, but I train at 6.30 in the morning. So I don't wanna do that. If I did that, I'd be sacrificing sleep and sleep is obviously a big part of your recovery. So strength training before jujitsu or, or jujitsu before strength training, which one would you pick? And the reason I pick strength training before jujitsu, if possible, is because say I train jujitsu five days a week and I strength train twice a week. If I lift after jujitsu, my strength training will typically suffer. I don't have as much energy to put into that. If I lift before jujitsu, maybe two days a week, my jujitsu training might suffer, so to speak. I won't have as much energy to put into that. But the other three days will be, will be good, right? Because I, I won't have done anything before. So I had the choice between two strong strength training days and three strong jujitsu days versus five jujitsu days and no strength. I picked the I picked the first one. I picked the the former. That's kind of the thought process behind that. It's got me thinking of other things too. So on those two days when you're strength training, I know it depends, but are you going to failure? I won't say we're never going to failure, but the amount people are going to failure, I think as a whole is too much right now. Because if you went to failure every time, you would just you would burn out. You just couldn't do it. The way we structure things is most of our programs are four weeks long and the first week is our deload week. So this is different than most people. You know, the way I grew up was deload week is the last week. It's like you go really hard and then you have an easy week. Well, we do the deload week at the beginning 
because that's our teaching week. That's new movements, new patterns. We're introducing maybe a different modality or something is new. We're not going to go really hard with that because they haven't learned it yet. So we go pretty light on week one. We're aiming for like seven out of 10 intensity. Just intense enough to get a stimulation, but not intense enough to really burn them. Week two, we add volume. And so we're doing a little bit more. That's probably the toughest week, mentally speaking, is week two because it's just, it's more volume. It's still, it's still pretty high. Still fairly high reps, um, but one more set on top of everything. Um, and we're aiming for eights out of tens. And then week three, we lower the volume, increase the weight, and we're aiming for nines out of tens. And then week four, we call it send it week. It's, we're aiming for 10 out of 10. You should have nothing left in the tank on each, you know, each set. And then we make a new program and come back to that deload week, let them recover, right? Cycle. Yeah, exactly. And so people have seen really, really good results on just two days a week. And it blows their mind when they realize how little they have to do to get the result they want. And then in terms of like a duration time, what are we talking here? 60 to 90 minutes, depending. Or I should say per lift. So we're talking two to three hours a week. If you do the math, it's really not a lot. I mean, it's it's a, it's a percent or two, you know, like of the 168 that you've got. So like I said, that it blows people's mind. We're like, yeah, you know, you only have to do this a little bit and it will change your life. Now, are you seeing like all types of people do this? High-end athletes to the general practitioner or... Yep, we've had just as good results with the hobbyist as we have with the uh, the professional jujitsu athlete. How are you staying up to date with all the latest you know research and techniques in the field? We highly prioritize continuing education at our gym, so all of our coaches have a continuing education budget. We have kind of our required certifications that they have to explore um, once they've satisfied those requirements then they can kind of branch out and and start to study other things things that interest them or things that they think would bring value to the facility and we're constantly trying to refine trying to find the next thing the evolution of strength training especially for jujitsu and for dynamic athletics has changed so quickly and it changes quite a bit it feels like it used to be just the days of hey let's just do some compound lifts and we're good have sort of came and went to some extent where do you see it going forward what kind of evolution do you see to strength training now i think data is the is the biggest thing like tracking data is so so important for all this stuff if you're not assessing you're guessing and so gone are the days like you said of just like going in doing a few compound lifts re-rack everything and, and i'm out every single weight every rep every set gets logged in our in our gym we use train heroic to deliver and track all of our programming and so that's been a really, really nice way to keep everything nice and neat. It's got its like trends and graphs and everything. Say, so, okay, like this is where you were, this is where you are, this is where you're going. So people, I think, really appreciate the data that goes into everything or the how much time we spend sifting through the data and figuring out, okay, what's the right course of action here? So I think that's really the next big thing in jujitsu because I think as a whole, jujitsu is behind. It's not a big budget sport. And that's something that, you know, I have the luxury of having come from the hockey background. Like I worked for the Sharks for a long time and I played hockey growing up and I played into college. And so I've seen the amount of money that a lot of these clubs pour into these massive investments, right? Like you look at the average NHL game and these are still, as far as like the big four sports go, lower paid athletes, but they're 10, $15 million assets per year. We're talking like some of these guys are signing $100 million contracts for 10 years. And so if I were an owner, I would put a lot of money into trying to keep that $100 million investment on the ice as long as I could. And in jujitsu, we don't have that. But our goal is to is to change the way grapplers approach strength training from a, I guess we'll call it like a big budget sport point of view. 
Now, for the younger people out there that are getting out of you know high school, college, and they want to go into this field, what kind of advice do you have for them? I know you guys have an internship program. Not everyone gets in, so perhaps for those people who can't, can you touch on actually both? Yep. Our internship program is an eight-week program. We teach everything from how to cue our most core fundamental movement patterns. We teach how to program. We teach sales. We teach the, the FRC lens, which is that, that cars assessment that we, that we were talking about earlier. We teach about the FMS lens, which is it's another assessment that we use. We teach how to combine those things, how to look at somebody, how to look through the, all that data and create something that's going to, like we talked about, meet them where they're at. We teach them people skills, we teach, you know, how to speak, how to, how to stand, all the posture, all the things that go into really creating a very high level experience for the people who come through our gym. That being said, if I had any advice for young people looking to get into strength coaching, just ask, reach out. I haven't met a single strength coach that wasn't happy to share everything they know. So reach out, ask, DM us, text, whatever, email. That was the advice that was given to me. And I was really fortunate to, I reached out and I, you know, I've, on several occasions, I've talked to what I would consider titans in the field. And they're like so personable and just really, really giving. So I think that's, that's really the hurdle that a lot of people have to come, overcome is just, just ask, like we're, we're happy to talk. So let's talk about your media a little bit here. First of all, I, I saw something called um, Results Fitness Inner Circle. What What is that? Yeah, so I'm actually part of a business coaching group. I, I've got to really credit that group with a lot of the growth that we've experienced over the last couple of years. So Results Fitness, it's a, it's a business coaching group. It's a, a lot of gym owners from, I believe it's international. It's most of the people there are, are here in the States, but all across the States. Like we got people as far away as Boston and Florida who come together, you know, we have monthly calls with our, our business coaches, the, the two owners of it, Alan and Rachel Cosgrove. They run in that Mike Boyle circle, like they're in that kind of thread. So you have a lot of like-minded people, but everybody's got their own way, right? Like there's more than one way to skin a cat. So we have our, our monthly meetings um, and then three times a three times a year we meet in person for a couple days at a time and we sit down and just talk about what's working what's not working you know how to get over certain hurdles and the beauty of that group is well first i'll say alan and rachel have been running a gym for 20 some years and running it really really well they've got proven results and they're still doing it it's not like they just did it and then they quit and then they're just teaching people what they did 20 years ago it's like they're doing it today and they're in the thick of things with you so that's the first thing the second is the entire life cycle of a gym is represented in that room so when i first joined we were the youngest gym so to speak we had you know we'd only been around for a year or so versus you know there are people in that room who've got multiple locations some who are buying buildings some who are selling their businesses and everything in between you know every size you could imagine and so not only do i get to hear them talk about their problems things that they're coming up against and prepare for it myself but if i ever have a problem they're like yep seen that this is what you do and i get to skip a lot of the heartache that comes along with owning a business and doing something on your own right i guess in that case i'm not on my own right because i've got a team have you always had this like entrepreneurial streak about you and this curiosity and this constant quest for like self-improvement and investing in yourself? Yeah, I have. I've always felt like I wanted to work for myself. 
I feel like I know me better than anybody else knows me. And that's not to say I'm afraid of getting help. It's not to say I'm afraid of like hiring coaches or asking people to help me, but I've always known I could never work at a desk. And it's no disrespect to anybody who can or does. It's for some people, it's not for others. It wasn't for me. You know, when I moved out to San Jose, I worked for the Sharks, but I also had a private skating and coaching business on the side. And so I was teaching, you know, puck skills and skating skills, um, you know, on my own. I had a mentor there who helped me a lot and, you know, kind of gave me a platform and, and helped me grow that business. And then when COVID hit and I made the transition, to strength and conditioning, I was like, this is it. I love what I'm doing. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to grow this thing and I'm going to help as many people as I can on the way. And I'll, I'll never forget, actually, my dad told me this because he and my mom own their own business. They still do and they're, they're actually getting ready to sell it. But I can remember my dad telling me that the underwriters, the, the loan officers, the, peop the people involved in them getting the money to create the business really did everything they could to talk them out of it. And they did that for a couple of reasons. I think the most important of which is just to see if they were really in it. Like, are we going to, are we going to give these people this money? Do they really care about it? Or are they just going to like, you know, piss it away? And so I remember my dad telling me that, that they, that they tried to talk them out of it and they just kept coming back and being like, no, nah, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And they're like, well, what if this happens? Like, it, it doesn't matter. We're going to do this. And so what he said to me was, you know, I don't care if I fail because if I fail, I'm just going to do it again. Like, I'm just going to do it again until it works. He told me that at a young age and it really always stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, that's a good idea. If I fail, I could just do it again. And I think I'm actually finally starting to learn that in my own, like my own jujitsu career, right? Where I'm like competing a lot more now. And I, and I competed a fair amount at white and blue and not so much at purple because of COVID and, and, you know, various injuries that had kind of stacked up. But at brown belt, I'm finally learning it. I'm like, if I fail, it's okay. I just get up and I go to the next one and I try it again and I'll try it again and I'll try it again until it works. That's interesting because a lot of that is data gathering too, right? All that exactly. That you get that you mentioned earlier. A hundred percent. Like I, I try to use both on the business side of things and the jujitsu side of things. All experiences are just data. Did it work? Yes. Do it again. Did it not work? No. Change it. <laughs> Make it work. Let's talk about the um, eBooks. You can clarify this for me. There's a strong and fit eBook, I believe. And then on BJJ Fanatics, it's an eBook as well. It's called Move, Feel, and Perform Better. Yep, the Move, Feel, Perform Better eBook is on Strong and Fit and BJJ Fanatics. Strong and Fit is just BJJ Fanatics, their strength and conditioning subsidiary. So they're, they're sister sites. So Move, Feel, Perform Better is the eBook. It's, uh, it's in PDF format. There are videos for all of the exercises. It's a 12-week program, three phases, walk everybody through piece by piece. So super simple. You know, it was originally made for Strong and Fit so that it, it would be more a gen pop thing, but... Like I said, building an athletic profile translates across sports, across, you know, all different kinds of hobbies or whatever it is that you do. So it's good for jujitsu athletes as well. There's, you know, that's, that's something that they can use. It's definitely a, a solid resource. It's going to take into account a lot of the principles that we talked about today, especially the single leg and the core stuff that all of that's really, really present. And it, like I said, it doesn't matter what your thing is. If it's jujitsu, great. If it's playing with your kids, it'll also work for that. And then I know you have fantastic YouTube and your IG content. You have two different IG accounts. Can you explain all three of those? Right now, our YouTube is kind of our just our exercise library. We put everything up there so that people can have it. Um, if they see something that inspires them, they're welcome to, to save it, like it, subscribe, whatever. And then we use those links. We put those on our Train Heroic, like our Train Heroic platform for our 
in-house clients. Um, so if they're ever doing something and I'm say I'm coaching somebody else, they don't know what to do. They can go over to the tablet, see what's going on, get themselves set up, and then we can help them from there. As far as Instagram goes, the Victory Submission Strength is the gym Instagram. We try to just document everything, right? Whether it's client successes, whether it's you know client success in the gym or on the mats, we're doing a seminar, all of that information will go there. And then my own personal one is at matt.jits.hue. And that one's just more of kind of whatever I'm feeling. I, I got a buddy, Josh, we put out some skits every once in a while, some jujitsu based skits, which are kind of fun. Sometimes there's some business stuff on there. Sometimes there's jujitsu. Sometimes it's, you know, just kind of a random assortment of whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Coaching stuff is all there. I'm active on both. If people have questions, they can reach out to either one. And uh, Matt, uh, how'd you learn to tie your belt? I can remember my first day of jiu-jitsu. I'll never forget it. One of my trainees, he's, he's still <laughs> still my training partner, John John Kaharian, gave me a gi in his because we didn't have, there was no like loaner gis or anything. So I showed up and, I, and it was, you know, 6.30 in the morning and he was like, I, I got an extra one in my car. And I was like, all right, cool. So he let me have that and then I bled all over it. So he was like, you can just keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, I don't know if it's common, but it was like kind of a rougher material. And, you know, we were doing like a bunch of stuff. We were like up and down on our knees a bunch. I looked down at my knees and my knees are all bloody. I was like, man, that sucks. So he gave me my first gi and then uh, they, I think they did have a loaner belt or something. And uh, a guy named Bruce Nardone taught me how to tie it. And then, you know, the whole rest of the day, I was like tying it at home, like tying it, untying <laughs> yeah. it, you know, just like, I'm not going to forget this. Like, yeah, I have to know. <laughs> the dilemma of the belt tie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I've I've since switched to, I think it's like a judo tie or whatever. I think I do um, that too. Yeah, that's, that's I, I like that one. It, it, stays, it stays, uh, yeah. stays neat longer, I think. Matt, was there anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on? If you're in the Bay Area, come check out one of the seminars. Those have been so, so fun for us. The seminar itself... Uh, or the talk itself is 45 minutes to an hour long. And then we typically have an open mat afterwards. Those have been really, really fun for me because it's great to not just get out there and talk about how to improve your jujitsu and longevity in the sport, but also to just roll with people that I don't typically roll with. Like I find that that's really, really, well, it's just super fun. On a certain level, it builds some credibility, right? I'm not just a talking head. I'm not just like on Instagram talking to you saying, hey, you should do this. I get out there and like, I, I live what you live. You know, we, we have a really, really um, strong bond and shared experience. And it's really cool to share that with people, especially ones that I don't typically get a chance to, to hang out with. I love this trend of seminars diverging a little bit from just straight techniques and jujitsu, you know, that we can get other really important information. I really think that's a great uh, offering for everyone. Yeah, thanks. Jiu-jitsu athletes are our target market. And so I wanted to speak to them in a way that they understand, right? And so I had to look at like, how are other people in this realm, you know, getting in front of this group and seminars tend to be, you know, probably the most prevalent way for experts in the field, most of whom are black belts who, you know, have won several titles or whatever it is to try to get out their information, you know, to get it in front of people so that they buy their instructionals and learn more from them. And so that was the approach that we took really was like, okay, well, let's, let's meet them where they're at, right? We talked about that earlier, meet them where they're at, talk to them the way they know how to be talked to or how to communicate. And it's been super helpful. I mean, I think at this point we've been to, I think eight or nine gyms from Santa Cruz up to Oakland. Uh, the plan is to do 15 or so a year. So we've got a, we've got one coming up at 10th Planet Daily City late September, I think September 24th. I'm not sure, but check our Instagram. And then Roots in Fremont or Union City. Uh, but we're always looking for, for other gyms. Anybody who wants to teach their people or thinks that this would be valuable for their members, we're happy to share it. 
happy to travel. Love doing it. Matt, where can we get more information about you and everything you're up to? Uh, you can uh, reach out to me on my personal Instagram, which is at matt.jits.hugh. That's H-E-W at the end. Happy to chat with anybody who's got questions. That's totally fine. Uh, for the gym, it's at Victory Submission Strength on Instagram. And then our website is victorysubmissionstrength.com. All right, you guys, this is another week of Forever White Belt. Thank you for watching and viewing out there and listening. I am Adolfo Fronto, your host, and we will see you next time. Give us a subscribe, thumbs up, five stars everywhere. And uh, Matt, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, guys. See ya.